next Tuesday. Next Tuesday is the big day. We've got some exciting stuff. A, a lot of exciting stuff. So it's not. This is not going to be a slow week, though. But and no, next week I don't think so. It's going to be a real doozy. Oh yeah, then no, yeah. next week's the next week's the big one. All right, so let's talk about um, let's talk about some stuff that's going to lead into next week. So we have a couple of tidbits that might be interesting. Tidbits. Because mm-hmm. hmm. I think we're okay. gonna have uh, we're gonna have a meaty chunk um, for our uh, next topic. So we've got a couple things we probably want to breeze through. Boy, you are just full of the little expressions here to, to start. <laughs> we're opening the kimono. <laughs> we what... broke the broke the fourth wall last week, and this week we're uh, opening the kimono. Yeah. All right. Um, so two bits of Apple news. So do you want to talk about one password, or do you want to talk about the likely um, kind of release f- time frame that we're expecting for Apple's wearable device? So I want to talk about the iWatch thing because I feel very vindicated by this. And real quick, um, would you be willing to bet a thousand dollars that it will not be called an iWatch? Uh, well, I I don't think it will be. So no. Okay. Good. Um. Okay. So. I can't remember if this was on one of the shows that we posted or if this was in the uh, the private beta period, but one of the things that I think actually maybe it was on a show we posted. Um, I've mentioned that I really didn't think there was any chance that we'd hear anything about the wearable the rest of this year because the way that I would have figured it was it would have gotten announced at WWDC with the intention of releasing it sometime in the holiday season. And with you know with my argument basically being that. Apple's completely lost the ability to keep anything a secret once it goes into the uh, the manufacturing channel, as you would say. And, you know, the only way to really prevent that is by announcing a product before it gets that far. And, you know, that's really realistically at least a few months out. So that's actually something I'm a little disappointed in myself that I didn't touch on last week um, that one of the reasons I was skeptical we'd hear about the wearable thing was just because... You know, I, I didn't think that they'd be able to announce it this close to the holiday season, still release it for the holiday season, and have it, you know, not leak out in advance. And that makes total sense, because uh, the the reason that the iPhone was released like five months beforehand was Steve Jobs said that he, didn't he in an interview afterwards said he wanted to be kind of responsible for it coming out rather than it be like gradual leaks through the media and the FCC testing? Yeah, I think I think they didn't really ever specifically say like media leaks, but they definitely did cite the whole FCC thing. Yeah. But so now, you know, the story came out this week from, you know, your friends over at Recode. Um, and it turns out that it's not likely that this is going to come out until 2015, which in some ways is it, it kind of weird. I don't know. It's odd timing. Um but again, I think it makes total sense and explains how we've come this far without this thing leaking out. Are you? I mean, are you? Are you in agreement with me that Apple really, just given their size and the amount of publicity they get now, they've just completely lost the ability to come out with a new uh, product and not have it leak out in advance? I don't think that's necessarily true. Um... But I think this strategy makes a lot more sense because they're they're able to control the narrative. They, like, because if the hardware leaks out, people will have much clearer preconceptions of what they think it should or shouldn't do, 
and if Apple gets to have kind of all the glory with framing the narrative, it's it's just a lot better that way, even if it doesn't ship for five months. I mean, can't you already just hear the avalanche of stories that are going to come out on the uh, afternoon of the 9th where it's gonna, the narrative is going to be, oh, you know, Apple misses holiday 2014, total disaster, they're doomed. Yeah, stock was down 4% today. I, I assume it's going to be uh, down to $50 uh, by the 10th. <laughs> Company's over. Right. And speaking of which, well, so I think that's all we have there. Do you want well, to talk I, about... Well, go ahead. I, I think that the last the last thing I will say, and I, I, I know I was just being sort of an ass about the whole joke about them missing the holiday season, but um, I actually do want to ask you that as a serious question. Um, it, do you think it's just, it's kind of, it's just weird to kind of tee up a product before the busiest part of the year in terms of shopping and then not make it available until after that period is over? Or do you really think that people just don't think about that? I don't think people care all that much. And I think it's probably going to be a product that's pretty heavily wrapped into the next generation of iPhones. So I think that just incentivizes people to buy iPhones for the holiday season. Wouldn't that wouldn't that also be kind of weird if there's all these, you know, super big hooks into the new iPhone and, you know, the new iPhone becomes available presumably near the end of this month and then you basically have to wait, you know, if if recode is correct, you're going to have to wait an additional almost 5 months before being able to use those features. I think it's fine cuz everybody's going to be so excited about doing their mobile payments on the phone. Ooh, nice. See, I I don't want to draw too much attention to it, but I'm I'm a professional. I know you are. I, I've never implied otherwise. Yeah, but that was good. So, um, yeah, so the so Apple, uh, very notably, has held off from doing any type of NFC, even though that's been a feature on Android phones for a really, really long time. Um, but it seems pretty heavily rumored that they are going to finally adopt NFC and some, toy, uh, some type of mobile payment solution with this next generation iPhone. Finally. Yeah, well, I mean... A, Again, we've talked about this a little bit. Do we think people are actually going to use this? I assume Apple's going to make it the easiest to use out of anybody, but do you honestly think that most people are going to put up with it? Because even if it works as smoothly as it can be, it's not easier than a card. It well, helps us yeah. in the sense that we don't want to have to carry a wallet. But for everybody else, I don't think they have that issue. So do you That's, think Apple yeah. doing it will really change anything? Well, that's the really big question. Um how how are they going to get over the hurdle that really every other mobile payment system, including Google Wallet, and I mean, gosh, there's at least five or six other ones out there. How are they going to overcome the hurdle of initial adoption and getting basically every single retailer that um, customers want to be able to use this thing at to adopt it? Um, I, I, that's, a, that's a huge challenge. And the, the rumors have been that Apple's been behind the scenes making deals with American Express and Visa and, you know, all the major players, but that still doesn't really answer the question of like, okay, well, like what, what does that mean? Like what, what is it actually going to look like if I go into a store with my phone? Like, am I, am I just going to like hold it up in front of something? Like, is well, yeah. that going to be an existing terminal that most stores have? Mm -hmm. It's, it's going to operate almost exactly like ISIS now, or sorry, uh, uh, with the soft card. Yeah, whatever that, yeah. I mean, it's just going to be just tapping your phone. How else would it possibly work? Well, but, I mean, do most retailers already have some type of 
Well, that's the know, that's the enormous terminal benefit. where you can do that. That's the enormous benefit for Apple is that Google did all the footwork and they got partnerships with like Rite Aid and CVS and Macy's and all these different places where you've seen. Uh, I think you even mentioned that you paid once at Macy's with um with some type of NFC thing. Well, I, I, I yes, but so, I mean, there's a lot of places that have it. And will probably get its first major like test run of use because it's an Apple device, even though Google and the other companies did all the work for it. There are a lot of places that have it, but again, I, I think I think they need to do better than just a lot. I think they need this thing to be almost universal because really, think about it. Like the the if you're asking people to like, oh, hey, you no longer have to carry your wallet around with all your credit cards. All you need is your phone. Well, what's going to happen the first time you go into a retailer that that doesn't have this reader? Like that's just that seems like a terrible experience. Well, it's going to be a terrible experience, and it's not going to be a widespread thing for another five years. <laughs> well, but isn't that what Apple's held off on introducing this for so many years is to not have that happen? Yeah, and it's still not there. So why do it now? Why not? Hmm. Again, Apple's going to be the one that makes it the easiest to use out of anybody. But this, there are so many moving parts, and there's so many parties that have no incentive to care. That I mean, your like your local corner store is not going to start accepting NFC based payments. It's going to be large retailers, and it's going to take several years for it to become widespread enough where anybody can even think of leaving their wallet at home. Well, in uh, San Francisco, we're lucky just if a uh, retailer accepts credit cards. Period. Yeah, you know, not that I'm not that I'm angry about that, but yeah. So we're just going to keep uh, just blowing through these. So. Uh, on another bit of iOS news, um, 1Password has announced that their iOS 8 update with that nifty little extensions feature that hooks into other applications is going to be a free update. Yes, and you, you, you've you been on record as saying you did not expect that. Or more, so, more so, and I'm saying this a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but uh, I don't, I find it extremely weird and very disappointing that they're not charging for it. Huh. Okay. Like it just and makes what... you like, not that they should be opportunistic about it, but this is a very, very important worthwhile feature. And it's kind of, it's just, it's weird that they wouldn't capitalize on that opportunity. Hmm. I don't know. It's, it just feels weird. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they see this as an opportunity to spur the adoption of third party applications to want to hook into the new sharing what's this thing called the uh, it's an extension yeah well so have they announced that this will also be the touch id update because those are two separate things i yeah i well my my interpretation is that the ios update is two things it's touch id and it's the extensions yeah or ex extension support i should say yeah um yeah i mean may, maybe the angle here is that you know, the best way to encourage third-party developers to put this extension in their application is to say, hey, all of these existing users on 1Password, we're providing this as a free update. So they're immediately going to be looking to your app to support this as opposed to, you know, having people to, you know, have to upgrade again and maybe not have that adoption be such that it would really encourage developers to want to, you know, put this in their app. That's a smart idea. I hadn't thought of that. Thank you. Because with Android, so one password is traditionally like kind of a, a Mac-based software shop, but they expanded one password to Windows, and uh, very recently they released an Android version. 
And their pricing strategy with that has been a little bit different where it's kind of the freemium model where you can get the application for free. And if you already own like one password for the desktop, you can read all of your password files, but you can't add without doing an in-app purchase. So they're, they're being a little bit experimental with how they're pricing their software. And I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm surprised that they're not going to charge iOS users for a very, very worthwhile update. But I think your idea makes a lot of sense. Oh, I, you know, I, I certainly would be willing to pay. Ex that, um, that's, that's why. I don't think anybody would hold off on upgrading. It's just such a huge boon to every person who uses it. Where, I don't know, just strange. I think what they did with the iOS 7 update, if I remember correctly, too, is they came out with a pretty dramatically reduced price for a, a period of time. Yeah. And that, that was smart. And it kind of a way to, you know, reward a lot of folks who had maybe already bought in. Yeah. And anytime there's a big security breach, um, they put the, they put it on sale for half off. <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> they, do you remember when do. that um, OpenSSL bug, uh, the Heartbleed thing, came out? Oh, I do. Yeah, everything was half off. Yep. It's a it's smart strategy. I couldn't and, quite tell if you were trying to make another segue there. No, and we will be talking about that soon. So everybody, everybody, kind of muddle through this whole little like quick news section because there's there's decent stuff coming up. Yeah, we're 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 uh, we're uh you know clearing clearing out the pipes as as we said last week because we're going to help some people this week. Oh, all right. Um, do you want to talk about the Samsung stuff? Yeah, I, I admit that I am behind on some of this stuff. Like what, what we were, what you showed me before the show, I had not, I had not seen or heard of that. So Samsung today released two new smartphones. Uh, they were two revisions to their uh, Galaxy Note line of um, phablets. It's funny that they, uh, funny that they would do that this week, don't you think? So, and, and that's another thing. So they did that ahead of the Apple announcement and. Isn't Motorola also going to announce or officially launch their the Moto 360 thing in advance of Apple's event? I believe so. I believe that comes out, I want to say, this week. Yeah, I think Thursday. Yeah. So there's two new versions of uh, the Galaxy Note. There's the Galaxy Note 4, which is, you know, it's a little bit better than their old 5.5-inch um, screen phone. And they also came out with the Galaxy Note Edge, which I guess is supposed to be the more interesting of the two models. And the gimmick on this one, because since it's a Samsung product, it has to have a gimmick. Um, it has a kind of curved or like tapered right edge where there is a like somewhat folded over LCD where you can get this little quick access menu um, that seems like it's absolutely useless. Or just I don't I don't see a good practical use for it. And the examples or however they make it look, it just looks like like the right 20% of your screen is like half broken and there's just these weird shortcuts on it. You you used the word interesting a minute ago. I would not have chosen that word. Did I say it in a positive way? You kind of did. No, I said it's the more interesting of the two. Not not good. Okay. It's just if we had to talk about one of the two, that is what it would be. So I think when when you showed this to me, you know, a few minutes before we started recording, I I don't really even think I had anything to say. I just was looking at these photos kind of just perplexed. I just can't think of a single thing that... So, I mean, basically the way this thing works is the, the curved right edge is, I guess, sort of where, like, the, the toolbar lives or where... Um, 
I don't know if it's the launch bar. I don't know what they call this in Android. It, well, no, no, you should know that there is uh, Android does not support this by default. This is all Samsung software overlay uh, crap. Well, but Android, at least I, I think if I if memory search correct on my Nexus Seven, Android does have a concept of sort of like a you know most used apps bar at the bottom of the screen. You know, similar to like the launcher in iOS, right? Well, it has a it has a, like a bottom row for icons. That's not what this is. Oh, it's not. So That's Samsung what it looks like. for I don't know if you've you've never really used a Samsung phone for much for an extended period of time, right? No. So they have this terrible, terrible feature called multi window, uh, where it allows you to do two things at once. Which on a four and a half inch phone, why why the hell not? Of course you want to watch YouTube while you're sending a text. So this is what that seems most like. So this is supposed to be kind of like this passive notification display area or something to just do these like weird shortcuts. So I don't think this is intended to replace the kind of like the little, um, uh, like that little dock bar. Mm. I and even like in the Verge seems to give Samsung stuff like oddly positive reviews. Um, but every everybody else says this kind of makes no sense whatsoever. Like like most Samsung features, like you know there was that like the thing where if you look away from the screen it pauses your video and like it scrolls with your eyes. I assume it's going to be one of those things where it's in one generation of the phone and then it goes immediately back out. Yeah, I mean, exactly like I was trying to say with the five and a half inch iPhone last week, like, you know, kind of just putting aside sarcasm or being facetious or whatever you want to call it. Like, I just I literally can't think of anything that would be better served with this curved screen as opposed to just having this be a regular flat rectangular screen. And, like, wouldn't you just accident? like, I know the, the Galaxy Note series is just too large to be used like a normal phone, but wouldn't you accidentally be touching that side of the screen all the time and there'd be just, like, errant touch events? Uh, yeah, I would think so, yes. Because if it's deactivated all the time so that you don't accidentally touch it, then why does it exist? Although maybe the solution is just to uh, use the stylus all the time. Yes. Which you know, we should know this thing actually comes with a stylus. We're, we're not kidding. Well, no. So all of the notes have come with a stylus, which is not horrible if you – like, I mean, I can understand why there would sort of be the use for it. Like if you annotate a lot of documents or if you'd ever use that kind of thing. I mean, it's not. It's not terrible. And if you don't want to use it, you just don't use it. It's still entirely like finger input friendly. But I, 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 my, my qualms are with the phone just being too large to be useful. I, I literally cannot remember the last time I used a stylus. I want to say it was I had a when I was still at uh, Best Buy when I was doing the in-home computer repair. Your AT&T HCC Tilt. You're you know you do a better job sometimes of remembering the devices I had than even I remember. I I don't remember people. I remember electronics. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I that thing. I think I had to use the stylus on. I think it was a. Well, it was Windows Mobile Six. Of course, you did. Well, but I think it was a. What, what do you? What would they call these? The like resistive touchscreens. Oh, you betcha. Yeah, it, of capacitive. It, it wasn't capacitive, so it didn't. I don't think it responded to like my thumb. It did. It's just that you Windows Mobile was designed at that point to only really use a stylus. So if oh, you ever okay. used your finger, like all the touch objects were just far too small, where you touch like five things at once. Yeah, maybe that's what it was. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I it, 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 yeah. And they I guess they also came out with a new 
smartwatch, right? The what, what's this? The uh, no, the Galaxy. No, they they did the Samsung Gear S. Did they? Yeah, this I know is they like made their... some like a virtual reality knockoff thing. No, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll put I'll put this in the uh, what the we're, we're not calling it the uh, the robot anymore. Uh, the Slack. We're, we're calling it the Slack. Yeah, I'll put it in put it in the Slack. That's um, not accessible to anybody listening. To this. That's correct. <laughs> Plays great on the radio. They so this is uh, has our you know let's get our John Gruber mentioned in here. Uh, he made a crack that this is the sixth smartwatch already somehow i don't know how that's possible but sixth smartwatch that samsung has uh, announced i don't think all have actually come out yet but they've at least announced six and so the the hook here is it's got this big curved screen um which you know actually looks kind of cool seems like it would be just terrible with reflection Mm -hmm. maybe even more so than like a flat screen but it, I mean, visually, it looks kind of neat. I don't the 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 default watch face they're showing in these pictures. I think is bizarre, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's kind of it's kind of neat looking, at least. I have zero interest in this. Yeah, I I I know. But you know, actually, okay. So the thing that I so I want to I I saw this earlier today. Somehow I missed the the edge, but I, I did see the watch. I guess I'm, a little, I'm a little sporadic with my Samsung news. I, I'm just I'm sitting here wondering like this this Apple wearable thing next week. I just I'm so curious how it's going to be different than something like this. I I know it will be, but I just but how? It'll be good. <laughs> well, right, but like even if it's limited, I don't think Apple would ship something that's bad. And I think for the most part, the Samsung products have genuinely been bad in the sense that they require too much power, that they're too clunky to use, that there's limited utility, that there's so many caveats that makes it like a silly purchase. The Apple one might not do much, but I think at the very least, whatever it says it'll do, it'll do pretty well. Well, but I mean, yeah, I mean, of of course. But what I really mean is how is it visually going to look different than the Samsung device? I just can't really imagine. If it looks like anything, I hope it looks like the Gear Fit. Please. Yeah, even if it looks something like that, though, I just, I don't know. I don't know. Because I think the pebble, like something that's the shape of the pebble, um, is is a no-go for a lot of people. I agree. It's just too darn big. I, you know, I, I'm, this is, I think this is putting way too much hope into it, but I'm really, really hoping it's the same exact situation as the original iPhone where... There were some mock designs that came out around the iPhone before it was announced, and they were all just so totally wrong. And the the actual iPhone ended up being something that like nobody ever like pictured before. That's what I, I said ho- last week. It is. Yeah. I, I I hope that I hope that's what this thing is. I think it will be. I just oh man, that's just that seems like that just seems like such high expectations. And here's the thing: no matter what, we'll all be disappointed in some way. I'm gonna be disappointed, but the, with the five month wait, that's gonna be a bummer. Yeah, but so I'm not. I'm not very patient. Yeah, but it's gonna come in green, so you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> I I can only hope. Okay. All right. So what's what's next? Uh... Rapid rapid fire. Do you care about the uh, probable Home Depot credit card breach? I saw that. It's 
unfortunately just becoming like par for the course now where it seems like every other week there's some data breach somewhere. Um, so I, I have not shopped at a Home Depot for, so I, I was affected by the Target thing. My credit card actually got replaced as a result of that. Um, but the, this Home Depot, I haven't shopped at a Home Depot, if, I don't know, since we lived in Santa Barbara. Hmm. Um, so I, I don't, I, I don't have the same personal attachment to this. So the only, the only way I would frame this conversation to make it more relevant here is, do you think this will hasten the adoption of tap payments or NFC or anything else? Do you think like there's a point where people will get so fed up with the existing system where just traditional credit card numbers and like that three digit code get compromised so easily where a more secure payment method would be worth kind of the growing pains of a couple of years where it's not going to work too well. I, I think there's definitely the opportunity for Apple to come out and, and, and tell a story around that. Sure. So, but how do you think Apple or, or Google for the, like, if, cause I assume Google's going to give Google wallet another try. Um, how, how do they sell it where people like, where they explain, you know what, it's not going to be everywhere and it's going to have some hiccups but it's safer, so just deal with it for like a year to two years. Because that's not a sexy idea. Mm, yeah, but I don't know. I think Apple Apple could come up with a way, I think, of making that interesting enough for people to, to pay attention to. Um, again, I don't, I don't know exactly how they would do that, but I, I think there's certainly an opportunity for them to, to go this, the security angle, which... You know, it's, it's kind of interesting because I've always thought of the NFC mobile payment thing as being more about convenience and having that be the primary selling point. But yeah, I don't know, maybe we're at a, a crossroad now where, you know, security is the actual angle that Apple could take. Yeah. They got to be, I don't know, they got to be kind of careful with the security thing, though. Yeah. Too. So right. you, did you kind of see what I did there? I did. All right. So do you want to talk about it? Yeah, I, I okay. well, I don't, but I think we should. What are we talking about? Well, so this the show's taken a or is is going to take a, a hard right turn, and we're we're going to be at least um, uh, tangentially talking about uh, nude celebrity photos, which um, in in the in the charter for this radio show that that was not that was not a bullet point, but. Again, you know, we've we've said this before. We'll say it again. You know, we we don't make the news; we just report on the news. Okay. Well, I mean, I don't think we're going to be talking about that. Okay. Well, let's let's give the folks some context. I think I think you're right. We won't spend a lot of time focusing on that part of it. But okay. So this was, I think, over the weekend sometime. There was a big dump of uh, uh, inappropriate, we'll say, photos of various famous people um, on the internet. Which you know, obviously, that in and of itself is nothing new, but the scale of this was, I think, bigger than most other instances that we've seen of this in the past. Um, and, and kind of right off the bat, I don't, I don't really know how people even figure this part of it out. But right off the bat, people started speculating that these photos had come from iCloud backups. Um, as you know, in, in iOS seven, one of the things that started happening with iCloud is the uh is your iphone by default i think it's by default right backs up your photos as part of like that nightly backup when your phone's plugged in and connected to wi-fi if you photos, allow it, photos yes. are on by default right mm -hmm. if you allow it yeah 
So, you know, we've kind of been in this world now for a while where the, a lot of these, these photos have been backed up online. And so, um, I don't know, somehow that, that part of it came out and it, it got to the point where Apple actually came out and, you know, put out an official press release around it. Um, you know, the, the whole thing. Um, I think what has gotten a little lost, I think some people have picked up on this, but what's gotten a little lost in the, the shuffle is that this doesn't at least so far appear to be any sort of like technical breach. This well, is more of a, just a, um, what, what do you call this? Just a kind of a brute force attack well, sort that of. could really, you know, they could really happen to any service, you know, not, not just something like iCloud. Well, so well, let's, let's say this differently. So what happened over the weekend was there were a group of people that were targeted by certain people that were using existing, very routine techniques of compromising just any old like online account. They just happened to target the iCloud accounts of uh, a group of famous people. And they just happened to extract private photos from those backups. So it's not that iCloud on a technical level was compromised or like anything like that happened. It just kind of heightens the awareness of people that passwords and that type of traditional security model is maybe less secure than they thought. And a lot of people are unfortunately just throwing around the throwing around blame for Apple and just like cloud storage in general as to like this weak link that people need to avoid. Well, I'm, I'm tempted just to completely edit out my explanation and then just like replace it with yours. Sure. Feel free. You, you, mm. It's your show. Yeah. Okay. Thank so, you. but I guess, so my biggest problem is because like, it's been the only story on just all types of media, unfortunately. And just the media, you know that the media never gets technology stories right. And I understand they want to sensationalize it. They always want to make it sound like, oh, there were like these covert operations and there was all this stuff and the foundation of our technical lives is just breaking down. But it isn't. It's like if from the oldest days, like when some, like if you, if somebody wanted to get into somebody's MySpace or something like 10 years ago, they would just try to guess their password. Or they would try to do like a reset link for somebody's password. Because as long as passwords continue to be kind of the only thing that keeps somebody out of your account, there are always going to be weaknesses there. And the media doesn't understand that. So it's so easy to just say, well, it was an iCloud uh, uh, security incident. When it really wasn't, there are ideas and concepts and kind of fundamental ways that iCloud operates that are not the most secure, but it's not really that something was compromised there. Yeah, and I think unfortunately this is a story that's sort of like a, a perfect storm or a perfect crossroads of, you know, pop culture and technology and all this where it captures just everyone's attention. And to your point, whenever that happens, it, inevitably the details kind of get lost in the more sensational headline. Um, so, you know, but I think the thing that I, I think is most interesting about this whole story is the timing before next week's event. You know, I, by all accounts, two of the big selling points for uh, iOS 8 and likely this wearable device is going to be mobile payments and health data and 
fairly or not, it seems that Apple's going to have to answer the questions about, well, we just had this big security breach with people's photos. How do you possibly expect them to trust you with their health data and their credit card information? Yeah, I mean, I think that will be something that people will say. I don't think those are for questions. Well, I don't either, but I think, you know, that again, I mean, those just... questions are going to get asked. And Apple's, you know, again, fairly or unfairly, they're going to have to have a good response. Otherwise, they don't. The, well, they do. No, they otherwise don't. The, well, I think they do because otherwise the headline coming out of this event is, well, Apple announced all this new stuff, but nobody's going to want to use it because nobody's going to trust it. I don't think that's going to be the case at all. I, I guarantee that on Tuesday's event, they will not talk about this at all. Do you honestly think that when Phil Schiller or Tim Cook comes up on stage, do you think anybody will mention this? I not directly, but I am, would not be surprised. I mean, we'll we'll never know, but I, I would not be surprised at all if the presentation's been tweaked a bit to further emphasize the security around these new features. I'm sure security was already going to be a bullet point, but I wouldn't be surprised if they spend an extra, you know, few few minutes on security. If we're talking about mobile payments or securing your credit card data, they would have had to have gone through the security details at length about that. When they introduced Touch ID, they made very clear to emphasize that your fingerprints were never transmitted to Apple, that they were stored in a secure, siloed part away of the processor memory. That already would have been there. I don't think they're going to change a darn thing about this. And I don't think that this really makes people think differently about storing the type of data that they would. Because as we'll talk about later, people don't understand their privacy or the security and integrity of online services at all anyway. And they're just going to give the information without thinking about it. So I don't think anything's going to change because of this. Well, maybe, maybe I'm overthinking it. I don't think you're overthinking it. I just don't think that Apple would ever... There's no good way for Apple to engage this other than the way they already have. Because it's not Apple's job to apologize for this. Because yeah, we'll we'll get into it in a minute. Okay. And I think I think that I think that's a, a very fair point. All right. So so what else do you have about this? Well, so um getting a, a second Gruber mention in here. Um Gruber had a really good piece today. I put it in the the podcast ideas thing. I don't, I don't know if you read it, but um, the, so the, the post was titled Security Trade-Offs. And essentially the point that he's making is that, and actually it, it really hit home with me and maybe it does with you too, just given some of the, the jobs that we've worked in the past. Um, there's sort of this this big trade-off with having you know something like your photos stored online. And you know with the iCloud automatic backup, it's not just your photos, it's your contacts, it's your text message history, it's really all the kind of key pieces of data on your phone. And while having all that information backed up to some remote server does expose you to potentially more of a security risk than if that data just lived on your phone, of course, assuming that you didn't physically lose your phone, um, you know, that that's one angle to, to look at all of this. But the, the second angle is that it's also an enormous security benefit to have that information stored remotely. And what I mean by that is if you lose your phone or if your phone is severely damaged, 
then you may lose all that information. You know, you may lose all these important photos and these important contacts and important text message history. And I know his uh, the, the piece today really hit with me because I in college worked at T-Mobile, and I, I and and actually too even on uh, Geek Squad at Best Buy when people would bring in like their their laptops like. One of the most difficult things to deal with would be instances where, you know, people lost or had a severely damaged device and all of their data was gone. And, you know, for some people, that's really heartbreaking because maybe one of those photos they lost was like the last photo they had of a loved one. Or, you know, maybe there was this contact that they had on their phone that they, you know, for a number for somebody that they'd never be able to get back. Um Obviously, things have changed a little bit, like with Facebook and stuff. Now, some of that stuff is is more easily retrievable than it maybe it was ten years ago. But, but even still, I I think I think the point that Gruber's making, which is a really good one, is that while there is some downside to all of this connectivity and this you know remote kind of backup system that we have now, I I think the the pros of that backup far outweigh. Uh, the cons that we've seen, you know, kind of highlighted the last week. I think that's accurate. And I think if people took the responsibility and time to understand the technology that is making life easier for them or protecting their data or potentially exposing their data, we'd all be a lot better off for it. Right. So I'm going to ask, ask you something. So so we've kind of covered the basis of the story, but I think it leads to a more interesting discussion. So do you, what, what do you think the difference between security and privacy is? Because I think in the reporting of this story, those two words are used interchangeably. So how, how would you, how would you describe those things with relation to the internet? Boy, you're uh, you're putting me on the spot. It's okay. You can edit out any pauses. No, I I fully intend to. <laughs> um, no, man, security and privacy. So, I I, and I would think of security being the technical mechanism which keeps my privacy intact. Fantastic. Did I pass? That is basically what I what I was. Yes, you, you you did it great. So I would say that security is kind of like it's it's the methods and means of like how you keep your information private. It's the passwords, it's two factor authentication, it's all the stuff that keeps your account your account rather than public information. You trust that Facebook or Apple or Google are going to keep your data secure, and that the fact that you choose a good password and that you keep all your recovery information up to date, that you can reliably trust that your information will be secure. Privacy, on the other hand, would be you electing to share something with just a certain group of people on Facebook, or that you can take a photo and back it up to iCloud and it not appear on somebody else's phone, and that kind of stuff. So I think all the media reports have kind of just conflated those two issues, whereas it's really that people need to take more responsibility on how to achieve like just secure computing, as lame as that sounds. That's something that people just need to just figure out and that it's not optional anymore to just use the same password for everything and just think it's somebody else's job. 
Yeah, totally, totally agree. We we did a pretty good, I think, bit. I think maybe episode two where we talked quite extensively about one password um, and the importance of having maybe not one password, but at least something similar to it. You know, not not just using the same three or four passwords over and over again, but having some type of system where you're generating truly unique passwords for every website and every service you use. And that's that's exactly what I think needs to be the expectation for people, particularly when you're dealing with things like bank information and with, you know, with, with a lot of people with photos, like those types of things are, they, they deserve more of your attention than just spitting out some dumb eight character password. Like, you know, I guess like, you know, think of, think about like physical security, right? Like if, if, if you, if you had a, a nice home or even if you had like maybe looks like a storage locker or something like that, where you had very valuable property you wouldn't just spend, you know, five minutes at the Home Depot buying like the cheapest lock they had. Like, because your credit actually... card would have been stolen. <laughs> well, nicely done there. Uh, you know, you're plotting for yourself. Nice. Uh, I like that. Um, it, you know, you, you'd, you'd actually spend a little bit of time looking for a nice lock or perhaps you'd even hire someone to come out and, you know, especially in the case of a home, maybe come out and install something like a professional security system. Um, and I think what gets lost with the whole idea of online security is folks just don't don't put that time and effort into it because it's just so easy to, you know, type in that easy password. And there really isn't like, just the I don't know for whatever reason there's just not that same like intuitive thought of oh hey you know I shouldn't just rely on this five dollar you know U-Haul lock or whatever I should actually you know maybe invest and and get something a little bit better. That's absolutely right. So I think if you have a little bit of time, we need to kind of review what people need to be doing to use the internet securely. I think I think it's a, that's a great idea. I have all, all the time in the world for that. All right. So you've you've touched on the first one. So people need to be using secure, unique passwords. What else do they need to be doing? Well, I think they need to, in addition to there being uh, unique or secure passwords. I think they did. You also say unique? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And they, by by I guess defining unique you really should never be using the same password for more than one service. And the reason for that, you know, maybe isn't exactly intuitive, but it's because if, if one service does get breached, then you're not, at the very least, you know, you're not exposing yourself for all of your other services and accounts to be breached. Exactly. And you have to understand, like, and certain people will use like two to three passwords and think that that's all right. But I mean, every website's different and some are important and some aren't. And, you know, everything has like, like up until like four years ago, American Express would not let you have more than an eight character long password. And, <laughs> and it was absolutely insane. And eBay, um, oh God, I remember eBay, uh, the passwords were not case sensitive. So regardless <laughs> of what you typed in, it accepted it. So nice. if you're using one password and one service gets breached, your password for everything is pretty much useless. And even worse than that, like a lot of people will write their passwords down, which is just maddening because then people have access to everything. So secure, unique passwords are important. And using that in conjunction with something like 1Password is what allows you 
to kind of manage this whole system because using a different password for everything, you know, it is kind of a pain in the butt and it's not as convenient, but it's far better in the long run. And one password allows you to have the same convenience of only ever really having to remember one password because your password is on your computer. You're accessing a local database, whether it be on your phone or on your computer. You're not actually transmitting that password over the internet. If Twitter gets compromised and your password's leaked, they don't have your master one password. You just generate a new one and you go on with your life. And you don't have to worry about changing it for 200 other services. Yeah, they, really, they really should sponsor the show. They don't need to. <laughs> well, Again, true. they should be charging $50 for this upcoming update. Yeah. Um, right, so, that, so the next thing I think, maybe, maybe this is on your list, I, I, at least for me, I'm a huge, huge proponent of two-factor authentication. That, that is absolutely right. However, it, so you need to help me in terms of how do you sell this to normal people? Because on top of just creating unique, strong passwords, two-factor authentication is just the most boring topic and the most tedious way to use an online service. So do, do, do we want to define what this is? Sure. Tell people, tell Go for it. What this is? All right. So two-factor authentication essentially is, well, it's kind of what the name sounds like. So, you know, you would enter a password into a service. So like Google is the primary one where I have two-factor authentication enabled. So I would I would enter my my normal password, you know, using one password. But if I'm logging on to a device or using a browser, which I've never used before, in addition to just entering my password, Google's going to prompt me for a, I think in the case of Google, it's like a six-digit code. And that code gets sent to a device which I've previously set up and authorized to receive this code. So for me, that's my iPhone. There's a uh, Google Authenticator app where it's just constantly sitting there in the background generating these random codes. And so whenever I get prompted for one of these codes on a new device or browser or whatever the case is, I simply open that application on my phone and then enter that code. Um, the, you know, the kind of the theory behind this is that if somehow someone were to discover what my Google password was or you know maybe even just attempt to reset that password through some type of brute force attack, you know, even if they were somehow successful in doing so, the odds of them also having my cell phone and being able to access that app is is very, very low. So it's sort of just like an extra layer uh, of, of security on top of a, a traditional password. Yeah. So, I mean, it uses something that other people might be familiar with, like, you know, like something like an RSA key. It solves the problem with passwords where a password is something that you know and the two-factor authentication piece, whether you're using Authy or you're using Google Authenticator, is that something that you have. So it gives you two different ways of verifying you are the person who the account's intended for. And while it's tedious, it solves a lot of problems with traditional passwords where anybody in the world could access your account if they've gotten that. Whereas that six-digit code that your authenticator is going to show proves that it's you. So I think, so your original point was kind of how do you sell people on this? The way that I would pitch this would be kind of being open with the fact that, yeah, you know, the initial setup is kind of a pain in the ass. Um, so with something like an, with I've actually, in my previous job, had an RSA token. And that, that was easy because, you know, IT gave me this token and it, it, it just worked. You know, I didn't have to do anything. But with something like Google or Apple or Dropbox, all these different services now, which have two-factor authentication available, 
you as the user actually do have to go through the process of setting this up. And that initial setup process, again, is, is a bit of a hassle. However, after that initial setup, it's really, really easy. Um, it, it, to, in most cases, you know, in 99% of your use cases, you're not ever going to even need that extra code because you're going to just be using the same phone or the same computer, whatever. So you, you're, in most, most cases, you're even just going to forget you ever set it up in the first place. But then on those one-off occasions where you are prompted for that code, you know, it, it literally takes less than 10 seconds to look at your iPhone, get the code, type it in, and away you go. So there's sort of like a big initial hurdle you have to get over. But after you get over that hurdle, it's almost like it's not even there. But yet you still have this really, really great extra level of security. So I guess the trouble there is there's a lot of people who I know we're telling people to use one password, but there's a lot of people who can't even remember the existing password they have to an account. How are you going to make sure they keep an authenticator app installed on their phone as they change phones all the time? And with two-factor authentication, like particularly with your Apple ID, if you lose it, you're 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 done with. Like the whole point is like when you do when you set up two-factor authentication on your Apple ID, you no longer have security questions. You have no alternative to reset your account except for this one really long code that they give you. But assuming you can't remember your own password, you're probably going to have lost that. So I'm saying, how do you sell this to the non-technical people? Or or not not how do you sell it? How do you prepare them? Or how do you... But yeah, how do you prepare them to know what their responsibility is? Yeah, that that's a great point. Um, yeah, that, that's totally a great point. I think the Apple example is probably the best where, as you say, if you make your iPhone the, you know, piece of hardware you use for your, your, you know, two-factor authentication, if you lose the phone, you, you really are screwed unless you have this crazy long code they give you at the time of setup. Now, when, when you go through that setup, they have these like, you know, repeated messages about, um, how important it is you hold on to it, etc. Um, but it's actually kind of ironic. As you brought that up, I'm I totally now don't remember where my code is. I'm actually like literally sitting here thinking like I I I think I remember printing it out and putting it somewhere. Like it's probably somewhere here in my apartment. But I just got it as a tattoo. It's like like that prison break thing. Yeah, it's actually it's kind of it's kind of bothering me now. <laughs> um, I guess I, I think I think I I think I actually might know where it is, but it, but yeah, no, it it does highlight the fact that even people like you and I who think about this a lot, it it is kind of in some ways risky because you know, or there maybe risky is not the right word, but there's just, there's a lot to remember. Yeah. And let's just take a, qu a quick break from what we were uh, from our little like list and like uh, security checkup. But um, one of the other interesting parts about this kind of alleged Apple security breach is one thing where Apple two-factor authentication will not help you is basically the situation where it looks like all of these accounts were were um, were like all these images were taken from, which was there was a program where people would download an entire iCloud backup using somebody's uh, hacked username and password. And when you do an iCloud restore 
on an iOS device. You're not prompted for any two-factor code because since your iOS device is what you'd receive it on, there's no way to get it. So doing an i like there is actually a security deficiency in iCloud in the sense that on one of the most important possible transactions with iCloud, you can restore it without having a two-factor authentication key. Hmm. So that's something that Apple doesn't really address and is kind of the only situation where I think anybody can really place blame on them, and rightfully so, in the sense that that has to get fixed, but I can't think of an obvious way they could fix it. Because when you're restoring from an iCloud backup, all you need is your username and password, and that gives you everything. Whereas the traditional two-factor authentication will really disprotect you from like accidental purchases and somebody like remotely locating your phone. So that's troubling, but... Hmm. Hmm. Okay, so what 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 else do what else do you have for the folks? What other uh, tips and tricks? So other than that, it's really just you know routinely change your password. One password if you're using that as your password manager, and you really should, because um, because uh, I've tried some of the other ones. Like there's no, there's nothing better, but uh, one password actually has a little notifier that'll tell you when there's been a security incident or something that should prompt you to change your password with a particular website, which is outstanding. Really, I I actually I didn't know that. So if you check, like, try a password you haven't updated in a really, really long time, but you'll see at the top of that, it'll say vulnerability alert that you should change your password. There's a little red stripe on it. So I'm sure there's some service you haven't updated in a couple of years, and it might be there. Wait, so wait, where where do I see that? Uh, so open up 1Password. Yeah. And just open up any login. Um, preferably a really old one. Okay. Um... Okay. And then you might see at the top a little red bar that says vulnerability alert. Oh, okay. Um, I'm kind of just scrolling through some of my logins. I mean, the, the, the ones that, I, that I've been personally aware of, like with the PlayStation hack and then with eBay a little while ago, those I definitely did change my password. So I'm, I'm, like, I'm scrolling through and I'm actually not seeing any of, the, not any of these alerts, but... Hmm. All right, well then. Good for me, I guess, right? Great job. Well done. Uh, um, all right. So, yeah, just, and then uh, routinely change your passwords, especially if it's a secure account, like your your Apple ID and your, your Google account. I mean, honestly, change that twice a year. Like, like why I'm, I'm, I'm actually literally thinking that those are the two that probably right after the show I'm going to change. And, and so that's, and that's what I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get at. Just to reinforce all this, again, I, I don't... I just struggle with the fact that so many people have such a cavalier attitude to this kind of stuff that it's just tough to really emphasize that this needs to be something that needs to be top of mind because things are not going away from technology. More and more of your entire life is going to be online, whether it be taxes, whether it be banking, or just like social sharing or files that you're backing up to the cloud. That, But your Google account and your Apple account, are they just hold so much about you. Like your Apple ID has all of your personal information all of your credit card information, most of your memories, all of your purchases, and it allows you to remotely wipe and track your phone that you have with you all the time. Your Google account, unless you've opted out, stores every web search you've done in the past decade. It tracks every place you've been, and it knows all the stuff about you, yet people will use like an eight-character password for it and just not really care. 
So those are the two services. And then if you happen to use like Evernote or Dropbox or anything else, I think those are important too. But your Google account, your Apple ID, it's just, it's insane. Yeah. Yep. <sighs> Have you ever shown anybody a uh, Google location history? No, I, God, I actually don't think I've ever looked at it like myself. Uh, I, 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 if you ever want to spook somebody, seriously. Google location history. Like, let me, uh, let me send you a link. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm logging. Yeah, I'm, I'm logging in. So. So unless you explicitly opted out, it should have every location you've been for, uh, however long you've been using Google maps. Hmm. Let's see here. I think. I think I, I think I opted out. Okay. Because it, it doesn't have it doesn't have any history for me. Do you have all your web searches in there? Um, in in Google. Mm-hmm. I I don't know how how can I tell? Uh, so on that one, you would go to uh, click like your little avatar guy in the top right. Mm-hmm. Oh my my Google Plus. Uh, not Google Plus though. <laughs> not not the Plus. No. Right yeah. Uh, if you, if you go to the account settings and then you go to account history, um, it'll have a little like a uh, four pane thing that says, uh, things you search for places you've been, uh, and things you've watched on YouTube and it has a uh-huh. little, a little cat video thing. <laughs> um, it shows you everything you've ever used in Google Chrome, uh, since like the history of time. Well, at least it's prompting me for my password again. That's good. <laughs> um, oh yeah. So yeah, yeah, this, oh gosh. Yeah. This, um. Oh, it actually has like your hourly search activity. Mm-hmm. Daily search activities. Tur- turns out that uh, Wednesday is the biggest day for me. Turns out, as I as I prepare for the show, that makes a lot of sense. That's cons- consistently. I'm looking at the calendar here. Consistently, every Wednesday, there's a pretty big spike in my Google searching. Stupendous. What's your total number of Google searches? Uh, I opted out of that. Oh, nice. Location history I actually keep on cuz I think it's really fun. Like as long as you know no, as long as you know how to secure your account, it's nice to know like uh, just kind of, you know, uh, like where, where was I that day? That's kind of neat. I don't remember. I don't remember opting out of this, but I mean, I guess I I don't use Google Maps regularly. Is that maybe why it doesn't have anything? Yeah, and apparently you're, yeah, you're an Apple Maps guy. So maybe maybe you just opted out of it. Or maybe I didn't opt out of it, but maybe because I never have Google Maps running, it just never really knows where I am. Yeah. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. But anyway, I only bring this up in the sense that if anybody ever thinks that security is not terribly important, just have them log in and just show them either of those pages. And who knows? Maybe maybe it'll like spook them into doing it. Maybe. Yeah. And that's uh, that's that's mainly it. I don't know it. People just need to care. Like, people expend so much, like, people have to care. Yeah. I mean, no, and the to- thing is, totally. and, it's, and it's nerds' jobs to make people care, but, th- like, you can you can only force people so far. Yeah. Um, no, no, totally. Um, and I think, you know, only, I, I don't know, like, I, I just, I think, I think something like 1Password is similar to the whole two-factor authentication thing there's just sort of like this big initial hurdle you have to kind of get over with setting everything up. But then once you're over that hurdle, I mean, actually having something like one password, not only is it, is it more secure, it's, it's just, it's easier because you never have to think about remembering a password. You never have to really type in a password outside of your master password. 
So it's more convenient. It's quicker. It's it's a totally better experience. It's just sort of that initial setup you got to get through. Yeah, it's just getting people to care. Like I, I I do actually remember like with one password like going through and for all you know all the services that I regularly use going through and resetting all of those passwords using one password and then storing those passwords like that was a bit of a undertaking. Like and the I, thing is, you don't actually have time. to change your passwords. Like well, you can just type you, your existing well, you, ones in case you you, you should. But yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you definitely should. But on, um, and like, and the side benefit of one password is you can have secure notes. You can store your credit cards in there for easier shopping. Like, like server logins, Wi-Fi passwords, just everything. Well, actually, yeah, no, that's totally one of the like the secure note that I have is um for my wireless router. Oh, you know, uh, there's actually a section called wireless routers, right? Oh, is there now? Yes. Oh, nice. I think at the, the time I set mine up, I don't think there was. Yeah. And of course, you can do like software licenses and everything else. So it's just it's just so indispensable. No, it totally is. So, what's your game plan? How are you gonna How are you gonna get your grandma on this? Because <sighs> no, actually, I'm, so I'm gonna put you on the spot. So, what are you gonna do for your grandma and your dad? Hmm. Man, I that I don't know. Because do you think your not like to encourage people to go after your grandma's account, but do you think she uses the same password for everything? Well, actually, we should. Uh, she she has told me that she's listened to one of these, so um, <laughs> I'm serious. Um, so if if she's listening, hello, um, <laughs> hello. Um, I, I mean, I I would love just to to say that like I I would go through using one password, but. I just man, I got. I'd have to really think carefully about how to how to how to go through that because I I just feel like it's one of those things where if you start making it sound complicated kind of early in the conversation, like they'll just tune it out. Yeah, I just I think you have to just be really thoughtful about. And yeah, I mean, this is not a problem that's um, specific to passwords. You know, I I'm thinking about like at work sometimes where like if I'm explaining something to somebody like in a different department where they could kind of care less about what I'm trying to say, like you really do have to like come up with these creative ways of phrasing it in such a way that both makes it important to them and which makes it intuitive. And I think with passwords, there's definitely a way to do that. You just have to be you know, very thoughtful of how you do it. So the answer is you think she probably uses the same password for everything. Um, probably, yeah. And your dad's password for everything is probably, uh, Jake looks nervous, uh, 55. <laughs> for probably, yeah. Probably. I, now I gotta go change all those passwords now. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, that's a cool dog. Um, yeah, that's mainly it. No, that ain't good. That's, that's very helpful. Um, it's unfortunate that it takes events like what's happened in the last week to remind folks of why this is so important. But, you know, you can take the glass half full approach and say, well, at least it does raise awareness. And that's a good thing. Yeah. My only concern is that I'm not sure it actually does. Because of like, yeah. because with this whole story, it's been a lot of like weird victim blaming, which again, like the type of activity, like it, it's nobody's business. And people have a reasonable expectation for privacy with a service like this because in Apple's quest to simplify and 
just make just make backing up your stuff easier and just reducing all the friction it takes to successfully transfer stuff between devices they hide a lot of the details that people kind of need to understand like they just take it for granted that all their stuff is there and they don't really realize how deep that goes i don't know hmm and any any clearer that they make it or any more detailed they are in their explanations, people are just going to opt out or they're just still just going to click accept, just like they do with the terms and conditions stuff. <sighs> All right. It's, hard, it's a hard problem. Yeah. But we're doing our best. Yeah. So what positive stuff do you have? Well, I've got a lot of dog pictures here in the... Um the little window we used to, to prepare for the show. Do we? So we got a, got a few. Got the one you put in there. I've got that, the Hunter Pence Corgi thing. Yeah. So there's this dog in a sweater, and he's adorable. He's very cute. He looks very concerned. <laughs> looks like he'd be a relative of Jake's. <laughs> he actually does, yeah. Yeah. And um, then there's a, there was, it was a Star Wars day at AT&T Park recently, and apparently a bunch of corgis went. Um, don't know how those are related. But they're super cute. <laughs> I think that this is this is really what the I think the people have been waiting to uh, have us talk about. They've you know they've kind of sl- they've slogged through the first hour of the show and you know now they're here. Yeah, they sat through that whole boring security discussion. They like they all probably tuned out and they're like, oh yep, just keep using my same password. One password. Yeah, just use one password, right? Right. Um. Yeah. Hmm. Wait, do. You... I don't actually look at when I, in the, like, I listen to, like, one out of every three of our episodes. Is there anything that goes along with the show? Yes, there's a very, very thought-out summary that I put together. Oh, there's, like, a three-sentence thing to... Oh, come on, come now. It, it takes, it takes me some time. I, I, as I'm listening to the show, I make some notes about what we talked about, and then I, at the end, I come up with some kind of, you know, relatively creative way of, um you know, tying that all together in just a, a few sentences. I'm very disappointed that in the last episode, you didn't use enormous hands as the title. Yeah. I, I figured you would be. I full I fully expected that, but I, I'm confident with the, uh, the title that I selected. Okay. And again, just another benefit of having f- basically full authority over the show and the, the, and the specifically the production of the show. I enjoy the power. That's fun. Um, what else we got? I think that's mainly it for me. Yeah. Again, I, think, I can't yeah. talk anymore about passwords. Otherwise, I think. Uh... I mean, we're we're right at about an hour. We had a had a real long show last week, so um, we could uh, could call it. Uh, yeah. Well, unless, unless you, you got some more. No. Do you, do you? Uh, I, you always complain that we don't ever get any gaming topics in. Do you, do you care about this uh, 3DS thing? I, I I literally was going to say, if, if there was one thing I wanted to maybe touch on, it was going to be this Nintendo thing. Again, you, you indulge me on the uh, the internet security thing. Go for it. I'll just sit here okay. quietly and play with uh, Rubik's Cube. <laughs> is, that, is that why you don't like all this this video game stuff? Is you, you're, you're content with your, your old school games? Yeah. Um, all right, so th- this is uh, Nintendo is is calling this anyway the new 3DS and 3DS XL. It, 
using the word phrase new is is definitely stretching the definition of new. It's it's really essentially just this the same handheld console with two additional trigger buttons, an additional joystick type button, uh buttons which now look like the original Nintendo controller buttons um and a, I think a slightly faster processor and NFC which is going to be used for they're coming out with what they're calling these amiibo figures which are these basically like they're they're basically memory cards that transmit data like save game data and character data wirelessly between the Wii U and now the the 3DS um one of the things that the, the, the reason why this story is is somewhat interesting is I think one of the things people have brought up about the 3DS is that it, it, Nintendo's been much slower to iterate on this device compared to previous uh, handhelds. Like the the example prior to this was the DS, and Nintendo came out with a DS Lite, I think maybe about a year and a half, two years after the original DS came out, and it was a radically new piece of hardware, dramatically improved the hardware, and it was, again, done pretty quickly after the original model came out. Whereas now, with the 3DS, we've been sitting on this thing for at least a couple of years now, and all we've gotten really is just a kind of just a small iterative update. So I don't know. I don't know if this is just another sign that, you know, Nintendo's kind of lost some of its touch or if if this really is what people want. I feel like every time I come out and like join the crowd that's like, oh, you know, this is the sign of the downfall of Nintendo, this and that. All of a sudden you turn around and they've sold like 10 billion of these things. But I don't know. It feels like with the, the, the 3DS that's that's not where we're at. I continue to be really surprised though with the sale of all of these the heart the handheld consoles and with the home consoles how well those have held up the last year. I think that's really surprised a lot of people. What do you mean? The Xbox One and the PlayStation 4 are both selling faster than the Xbox 360 and PS3. Uh, this the 3ds for all of its initial faults is selling really 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 well. What do you mean really well? Like where where are those numbers from? Because I, I I'm sure nobody's buying the the PlayStation Vita thing. And uh, the, the Vita, but, but the, I think the the difference with the PlayStation handheld stuff is that even in the previous generation, they they, they Sony wasn't successful there either. Like I think what people were anticipating and i would kind of put myself in this is that with this new generation of hardware because of you know the growth of smartphones and tablets we just wouldn't see the type of sales that we've seen in the past and it's been the total opposite sales are better than they've ever been before so i don't know it feels like every time you know every time we count out nintendo or even just the gaming industry in general i we're surprised that you know they turn around and, you know. So Nintendo is still kind of in financial trouble, right? They're they're not doing well, right? They're fortunately sitting on a lot of cash that they've accumulated over the last six, seven years. But now, quarter to quarter, they are not doing well. Okay. So I want to help them out. So I, I want to give them... I, I'm just going to throw out an idea. 
Um, why don't they just charge $120 for Mario Kart 8? <laughs> I, I'm being completely serious. Like, if if that's one of those, like, titles that people buy a console for, why not just charge more for it? I guess, like, 120 because I, I, I was just doubling the price. Why couldn't they charge $89 for it? Like, wouldn't that make a big difference? Like, if their first-party titles are the reason to buy a console and they're not able to churn out as many of those that people care about, why not just charge more for them? Like, isn't there going to be another uh, Super Smash Brothers sort of game soon? There is, both for the 3DS and for the Wii U. Is it out yet? Uh, they would, No, 3DS is out next month, and then the Wii U, I think, November, December. So why can't they just charge more for that? Um, I mean, they could. Um, like it might like they only have a few more years left in them. So why not just just burn it out? Yeah, maybe. I I think I don't know. I without going into a huge Nintendo discussion, I I think the thing that you could very easily point to is that every single time that Nintendo's kind of stumbled and everybody thinks they're at their kind of turning point and they've lost it they they find a way out and they come back stronger than ever so i'm not sure that's the case though because again with we've talked about this at length before but with ios devices kind of occupy or with with mobile devices occupying the casual gaming market there isn't ever going to be another Wii. you can't convince people to spend 300 dollars on a console just on a whim now just for like the novelty of it I I don't I don't know if I entirely agree. I think if you can come out with a strong enough hook, I think you can. Hmm. I mean, again, like looking at the Xbox One and PlayStation Four sales, they've been fantastic, and neither of those boxes really offers anything that's super unique. I. I... I'm not saying you're wrong, but how I, I'm not sure you're entirely right about the Xbox One sales. Hasn't it been a fairly large disappointment? And they almost immediately had to abandon the idea of making Connect an integral part of the experience? Only, com- only when compared to the PlayStation 4. But compared to the previous generation, the Xbox One is selling faster than the 360 did. It's not going to stay but that's, that, that way, that's... That's not that's not what's important. What's important in these hardware battles is keeping up with the competitor. Last generations in in the past. So that that's what the that's what the price cut and the debundling of Connect's all about. But didn't when the Xbox 360 came out, it had no good games for like two years. Isn't that why there was a slow adoption of it? Well, the, I mean, the Xbox One doesn't have any good games either. That's that's just new consoles. It has Forza Five, doesn't it? Yeah, but that game was universally panned. I'm sure it's great. Hmm. I have a copy that I bought that I've never opened, <laughs> so I'm definitely not the person to ask there. Okay. Um. But anyway, the 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 3ds thing, I don't know. It's typical crazy Nintendo. Um. I think I think what's super interesting with Nintendo too is like when they come out with these new hardware iterations, they would they come out with like these new buttons and features and stuff. They just show absolutely no regard to developers because now if you're a if you're a 3ds developer you have to not only support this new model but the old model which has a completely different button configuration and a different processor like what a night what a nightmare 
Like, no wonder Nintendo has such a hard time getting third parties to adopt their systems because they always they pull stuff like this all the time. But nobody buys Nintendo consoles for a third party. That it's a totally fair point. Yeah. Yeah. Eh, let's wrap it up. All right. Sounds good.